Summer is for the beach, and we all need some time to reflect on the crazy year that we've all experienced. Also, we need to store up energy for the fall election season. I took this week off from regular daily episodes so I could do some reflecting on the bigger themes of this year. I've also been praying for the people of Beirut this week as they suffered a catastrophic event. Today, I want to give you my insights on the big stories of this week. I'm Gail Trotter, host of The Gail Trotter Show. I'm a liberty-loving, tyranny-hating lawyer based in your nation's capital. My goal is to keep you informed and to be your spokesman in Washington, D.C. Please subscribe below, hit the bell so you don't miss an episode, and comment down below on what topics you would like me to cover next. So I have five updates from big news stories to share with you this week. The first topic from this week is that your Second Amendment continues to be under attack. The Attorney General of the state of New York decided to try and disband and cancel the National Rifle Association. I have made this point several times and I think it's so important to reiterate that when they attack the NRA, they're attacking your Second Amendment rights. I want to share with you this article from Fox News entitled, The NRA Fights Back, Files Its Own Suit Against the New York Attorney General Seeking to Disband the Organization. President Trump slammed Attorney General Letitia James's suit against the group, calling it a, quote, very terrible thing, end quote. I think this article sets forward the reasons why this attack by the Attorney General against the NRA is so critical. New York State is not charging the leadership of the NRA with any crimes. Instead, they're trying to defame the organization and cause it to invest a tremendous amount of money into litigation to protect the organization against the efforts by the New York State Attorney General to cancel the NRA. And I was so glad to see in this article that it talks about how the NRA is going to fight back. They have submitted its own civil suit against the state official, this is quoting from the article, accusing her of defamation and violating the NRA's rights to free speech. The NRA's lawsuit was filed in federal court in New York and alleges that Attorney General Letitia James made the political prosecution of the NRA a central campaign theme when she was running for office and she hasn't treated the NRA fairly since. And they have this 19-page lawsuit against the Attorney General trying to defend themselves against this purely partisan attack on the National Rifle Association. Not all Americans who support the Second Amendment are members of the NRA, but they represent the rights of all American citizens. So this attack against the NRA is an attack against all American Second Amendment rights, and that's why this is so critical. Quoting from the article, the Attorney General Letitia James boasted that she would strike 
foul blows against the NRA and pound the NRA into submission. She vowed that she would use the New York Attorney General's investigative and enforcement powers for the precise purpose of stanching political speech, deadly propaganda, the lawsuit states. She has begun to deliver on her campaign promises to retaliate against the NRA for constitutionally protected speech on issues that James opposes. As New York Attorney General, James has regrettably succumbed to individual passions and individual malevolence, end quote. So you see that this is a true two-pronged attack. So imagine that if the New York Attorney General decided to cancel the ACLU. Well, you can't imagine that because that is a liberal group and the New York Attorney General would never do that. But she's not accusing any of the leadership of the NRA of crimes uh, that she's actually uh, going and prosecuting against. Instead, she's targeting the entire group of Americans who support Second Amendment rights. So this is a, an attack on two constitutional rights, the right to free speech and political speech is the core speech that is protected by the First Amendment. This is also an attack on the Second Amendment because as we see, there are more and more efforts to erode our Second Amendment rights than attacking a group that has done such an incredible job over the years of being nonpartisan and trying to protect these crucial Second Amendment rights, then she's trying to cut off an effective advocate for Americans' Second Amendment rights. So it's attacking two constitutional rights at the same time. I think it's important to note that this is happening at the very same time that uh, we see that homicide rates in New York City are skyrocketing. And we also see so many efforts by the left to defund the police. And we see why this is such a critical time for the NRA and other groups that advocate for constitutional rights of Americans to not have to spend a tremendous amount of money on lawyers' fees to, dry, to try to defend themselves against frivolous and partisan suits. Also, the Attorney General of Washington, D.C. is going after the NRA. And I think it's important in that Fox article, quoting from it, it said, in the lawsuit in New York, spokesperson, NRA spokesperson Mark Oliva said, James seeks to punish the over 5 million members of the National Rifle Association based on mere allegations of possible wrongdoing by a few individuals, end quote. So this is not just the strategy of the left in New York, it's also the unsurprising strategy of the left in Washington, D.C. Uh, I think it's important to know that President Trump suggested that the NRA move to Texas. Now, obviously, the culture of Texas is very different than the culture of New York, but I think that this would be the wrong move because the citizens of New York have just as much reason to want to keep their Second Amendment rights, and it's very important that they have an advocate there. So it's easy to say to move, and I understand that strategy, but we are all Americans, and there are many, many people in New York 
who support the Second Amendment. You might remember that there was even a Supreme Court case that was heard this year about the New York City Rifle and Pistol Club. We covered that in a different episode. The Supreme Court essentially declined to take that up and really give a lot of rights that the citizens of New York deserve to really support those rights. Uh, but I think it's very important to note that this is not an isolated issue in New York. It's something that we're seeing that attorneys general across the United States are probably going to take up because they know that the NRA is an effective organization. So it doesn't just implicate the 5 million NRA members. Think of all the people who support the work of the NRA but aren't actually members for whatever reason. In related news, a story broke this week about how James O'Keefe, the head of Project Veritas, could not purchase a firearm. He found himself on an FBI watch list. And so when he went to try and purchase a, a firearm in New York, he was denied the ability to purchase a firearm. So I'm going to link for you to this article in the New York Daily News about James O'Keefe sues the FBI because he can't buy a gun. And just quoting from the article, the conservative activists known for undercover ambushes of liberal targets sued the FBI on Thursday for allegedly putting him on a watch list, prohibiting him from purchasing a firearm. O'Keefe, who runs Project Veritas, says in the suit filed in Manhattan federal court that he tried to buy a gun on July 26 in New York an FBI background check system used for gun purchases rejected O'Keefe's name. Further inquiry found that the FBI identifies O'Keefe, 36, as a convicted felon, meaning he doesn't have the right to own a gun, according to the suit. But O'Keefe's suit claims the law only bans people who have been convicted of a crime punishable by more than a year of imprisonment. And according to the suit, he was convicted of a misdemeanor for, it goes into here, I'm going to highlight it for you. In 2010, O'Keefe was arrested along with three others in the offices of then Senator Mary Landrieu in a New Orleans federal building. Members of the undercover crew were posing as phone repairmen. He pled guilty to misdemeanor charges of entering a federal building and false pretenses and was sentenced to three years probation, 100 hours of community service, and a $1,500 fine. So this is a really fascinating story that I think we'll be keeping a close eye on, his suit. We know that there are many false negatives on the, the criminal background checklist, and it is a big item of the left trying to have this universal background system, meaning that there are many varieties of it, but meaning that uh, a grandfather couldn't switch it to a grandson, that if you had any um, people who knew each other that they couldn't sell from one to the other, that every transfer of a firearm would have to go through the system that creates many false positives. And I think when you look at this idea that the left is so keen on taking away law-abiding citizens' rights to possess firearms at the same time that they want criminal justice reform where they're letting violent 
violent felons out of prison and at the same time because of the COVID-19 issue that they are also letting people who are very dangerous out of prison. So it just shows the inconsistency of the left on this issue that they are trying everything they can to limit ability of people to possess firearms for their self-defense and at the same time giving a path to all the rioting and looting that we have been seeing, we have seen go on this summer. I am happy to report that the FBI is targeting a lot of these, uh, these root rioters and people who are looting and they are bringing them up, they're investigating it and the Department of Justice is continuing to try and prosecute people who are responsible for the violence and mayhem this summer. But you can see that it's a constant push-pull struggle between the left and the right on these issues. So that this is a Second Amendment update for you from this week. I have two viewer comments that I want to share with you on the issue of the Second Amendment. The first comment is from Miss Construed, and she writes, quote, the gun grabbers talk on and on and on about being safe and how bad guns are. We all know they don't know a darn thing about guns or protecting yourself when faced with the situation of shoot or die, end quote. Thank you, Ms. Construed, for this very helpful comment. I also had a comment from viewer Brenda Raleigh, and she writes, crooks get guns. So true. Brenda has really figured this out. The second update that I have to share with you today is on justice for General Michael Flynn. I've been covering this case very carefully because it says so much about the Obama administration, about the corruption of the rule of law, about the deep state and the continuing injustice that is being done to General Michael Flynn. I want to draw your attention to this tweet from Technofog, which is an update on the Flynn case from this week. Technofog tells us that the DC appellate court has asked the parties to be prepared to address at oral argument these two questions, whether Judge Sullivan should disqualify himself for perceived impartiality, and if Sullivan should disqualify himself as a party to a proceeding. You might remember when we talked about the oral argument before the appellate court last month, one of the things that General Michael Flynn's lawyers asked the appellate court to do in the writ of mandamus was to remove Judge Sullivan as the judge overseeing the case because Judge Sullivan had showed his bias in accusing Michael, Sullivan, Michael Flynn of things that he had not done and even throwing into the, the public discussion of Michael Flynn's case about a year ago whether or not Michael Flynn had committed treason, which was not even on the table of charges against Michael Flynn, and no one had ever accused him of that in the Department of Justice or in the criminal proceeding. So I think this is a really important, uh, this is a really important topic for the appellate court to address because this is something that the panel, the three judge panel that decided two to one to force Judge Sullivan to dismiss, dismiss the charges against General Flynn. This was something that that panel was unwilling to take up. And I think it was probably because 
Judge Henderson, who was not appointed by President Trump, but was appointed by one of the Bush presidents, she probably wanted to have a more full, robust discussion of it. So she ruled in favor of Michael Flynn's petition for the writ of mandamus, but it wasn't given immediate effect. It was allowed to be appealed. And so that's what you saw happen. Judge Sullivan appealed it, and that's why it's going before the entire appellate court to, to be heard. So that's the latest update this week from the Michael Flynn case. I have two really good viewer comments to share with you on this update. First, viewer Martin Edward writes, quote, justice delayed is justice denied. It's all political. Courts are acting as politicians now, end quote. Couldn't agree with you more, Martin. The second viewer comment is from Rotten Core, and Rotten Core writes, quote, not optimistic. This should have been dismissed months ago. We might find out there is no more rule of law, that General Flynn may end up in prison, and he will be lucky if he isn't executed for treason, with Judge Sullivan being the prosecutor, the judge, and jury. The Supreme Court may not even hear the case, and even if they do, they may again ignore the Constitution, end quote. Well, you can see that Rotten Core is writing about what the extreme miscarriage of justice would be in this case. And the fact that the judge would raise treason obviously really heightens the inflammatory rhetoric on this case. So Rotten Core is not completely out of bounds to talk about this issue when the judge should not have even raised this. The third update for you is on Obamagate. We had some big breaking news this week when Sally Yates, the former acting attorney general, testified. And I'm gonna link to this article talking about how the network evening newscast skipped Sally Yates admitting that James Comey went rogue with the Flynn interview. Longtime viewers of this channel might remember how we said that this is nothing new. James Comey admitted the same thing in his interview with Nicole Wallace. And also, he's talked about it in his book, A Higher Loyalty. James Comey seemed to, th seemed to think that the Department of Justice and the FBI practices and policies didn't apply to him. And he had ticked off his supervisor, Sally Yates, who was overseeing things. And he decided to essentially go rogue and go interview, allow people to go interview Mike Flynn at the White House, even though they didn't follow the practice and the procedures. And so it comes across as obviously very political. And so the network evening newscasts don't want to point out this to the American people because this shows the opposite of the whole Russian collusion hoax narrative. It shows that, if anything, everything was turned upside down to get Trump to violate what the normal standing practices and procedures were to try and bring down Trump. And if they couldn't bring down Trump, they were going to try and bring down those closest around him. So then we also looked at the idea that um, Biden in this week is trying to select a vice president. And there's 
been a lot of speculation. So I'm going to link down below to this interview on CBS News. And look at this headline about this. It says, a look at Biden's potential running mates, Stacey Abrams, Sally Yates, Michelle Lujan Grisham, and Gretchen Whitmer. But the name that jumps out at me is Sally Yates. She is intimately involved in the takedown of General Michael Flynn, who was the national security advisor, a very important high level role in the Trump administration. And she's supposed to be neutral. And the left is saying, that she could potentially be a vice presidential running mate for Joe Biden. And just, it's very unlikely that he would select her for obvious reasons, but not because she's too political. And it just shows how deep the swamp is in Washington, DC, and in these positions of power at the Department of Justice. But I think it's also important to realize that this is not an isolated episode. I want to direct your attention to the to link here. Biden campaign drops a fundraiser with former top prosecutor on Mueller's team. Have you heard of Andrew Weissman? Did you realize that he was one of the lead attorneys on the Mueller investigation that was trying to take out President Trump and either to have him be charged with some criminal offense or to create a roadmap for the House Democrats to impeach President Trump and remove him from office. Well, one of the top lawyers on that, as soon as he left government and decided that he was no longer bound by uh, the usual aspects that Department of Justice and special counsel prosecutors are bound by, he decides to sign on with Joe Biden and not just vote for Joe Biden, not just tell his friends and family that they should vote for Joe Biden, but to be the headline of a fundraiser for Joe Biden. So the Sally Yates being considered for vice president is really not that shocking uh, because you have people like Andrew Weissman, who is a top lawyer on the Mueller investigation, trying to throw fundraisers to put Joe Biden in office. This just smells so far that nobody can deny how corrupt this is. I also want to share with you this article entitled, Representative Collins insists Barr has every right to release Durham report before election despite Democrat objections. Connecticut U.S. attorney is examining the origins of the FBI's Russia investigation during the 2016 campaign. So this is a key development that we continue to track for you. What happens with this Durham investigation? Are they going to find anything that they're willing to release to the public? Are they going to release it? before the 2020 presidential election. And if all these people are voting ahead of time before it's released, is that gonna impact it too? This is something that is a key issue to continue to watch in the lead up to the November 2020 presidential election. The fourth topic that I wanna share with you is the Supreme Court. We saw Vice President Pence Talk about what a disappointment Chief Justice John Roberts has been since he has made all of these rulings that don't stand up for this idea of originalism or textualism. 
being faithful to the constitution, being fair and independent and not results oriented. I'm gonna link to this article entitled, Pence rips Chief Justice John Roberts in interview, calls him, quote, disappointment to conservatives, end quote. Several recent cases are reminders of just how important this election is for the future of the Supreme Court, Pence said. Now, Vice President Pence is completely correct. You might remember that Chief Justice John Roberts was the critical vote in upholding Obamacare when it first came before the Supreme Court. And you could say he's the quantum physics justice. It's like Schrodinger's cat. It's a tax, while at the same time, it's not a tax. And if you go back to that uh, decision by Chief Justice John Roberts, it was upside down. He said that it was a tax at one point. He said that it wasn't a tax in another point in order to cobble together a way to uphold Obamacare. And this is not an isolated type of decision from Chief Justice John Roberts. And this article, goes through the idea that Chief Justice John Roberts is not being faithful to the Constitution. So we discussed in an earlier episode about the Nevada Supreme Court ruling that prioritized casinos over churches and how ridiculous that was and that the Supreme Court didn't step in to protect the fundamental First Amendment right to worship, to free exercise of religion. We also have this abortion case from Louisiana and quoting from uh, what Vice President Pence said on this interview, quote, that's a very modest restriction on abortion providers, Pence told Brody, but a narrow majority in the Supreme Court still said it was unacceptable. I think it's been a wake-up call for pro-life voters around the country who understand in a very real sense the destiny of the Supreme Court is on the ballot in 2020. Vice President Pence is so correct. It was on the ballot, it's on the ballot every year, but it was certainly on the ballot in 2016 when we started seeing the Supreme Court upholding the left's agenda. And it's one thing if the legislator, legislature votes for the left's agenda, but instead if they have it accomplished through litigation, particularly through the Supreme Court, it is much harder to unwind, not only because you have to go through all the mechanisms of the process, but also once the Supreme Court decides on something, it's very difficult to get public opinion to shift the other way. And the left understands this vital principle. And it's so true in 2020 that the Supreme Court is still on the ballot. And the Supreme Court is the final arbiter, essentially, of our core constitutional rights. And we saw that in case, case, case after case in this term and in the past. So Vice President is correct on this. And the final thing that I want to share with you and get your comments on, uh, I'm going to link to this article, Trump campaign proposes 24 moderators for the presidential debate. CBS's Major Garrett and NBC's Hoda Kopp are among those named. I would love to see Charles Payne from Fox Business and Fox News be a moderator for a presidential debate. He is excellent on the business issues and he doesn't speak in such a way that normal people can't understand him. 
he understands why people care about their investments, why they care about the economy, and he has an excellent perspective on regular people and people relate to him. I think he would be very fair. He would ask President Trump tough questions, which all Americans should want President Trump to answer tough questions. And he would also give Joe Biden those tough questions. I don't think Hoda Kopp is going to give Joe Biden tough questions. I don't think Nora O'Donnell is going to give Joe Biden tough questions. So I'd like to know down below in the comments to let me know who you think should moderate the presidential debates this year. It may be summer, but the action is still going fast and hard. This is a good month to keep watching the action, but also storing up energy for what appears to be a momentous fall. I have one thing to ask you to do today. Please let the Attorney General of New York politely know that you are against her attacks on your constitutional rights to free speech and to bear arms. An attack against the NRA is an attack against all Americans' free speech and Second Amendment rights. Thank you so much for joining me today. Subscribe to this channel, hit the bell, and comment down below on what topics you would like me to cover next. I read all of the comments and I thank you again for joining me. Thanks for listening to The Gail Trotter Show, right in DC. Be sure to sign up for her mailing list on her website, gailtrotter.com. And also follow her on Twitter, at Gail Trotter, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe now, it's easy. Thanks for listening. Share the truth. Share The Gail Trotter Show.